Welcome to Orchard UMC's podcast. At Orchard, we endeavor to live into our mission of transforming the world by growing in faith, serving others, and sharing Jesus. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the 424th chapter of Deuteronomy. I'm starting reading from the 19th verse. If you'd like to follow along, it's in your pew Bibles. In the Old Testament, page 179. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. When you beat your olive trees, do not strip what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what's left. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Holy and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are continuing our sermon series of getting your house in order. Uh, And I get a fun week. I get the getting your finances in order. So the first thing I thought about, which I'm sure you thought about, was the book of Deuteronomy, right? Like, I mean, obviously, if you're going to think about finances, that's where you go. No, I'm kidding with you. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth and final book of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, um, or what we call the Old Testament. Though it's the fifth of the books, it's probably not the earliest one written. Um, It's often ascribed to Moses as the writer, but that really isn't the case. Um, It's actually a collection of a lot of different writers that was written over different eras and different times and combined together as one. Moses does take a forefront in this book, though, because these writers were aspiring to something greater for their kingdom. Um, They were living in a time where they felt leaderless, so they called upon one of the greatest leaders from their past, who was Moses. It's a challenging book, and it's often known... um, to many as the second law. Now, can any of you guess what maybe the first law was? Any guesses? No guesses? The the Ten Commandments were considered the first laws. So Deuteronomy was the second law. Deuteronomy was written at a very challenging time. See, the, the priority of the land was moving to an exclusive worship of God. No images were to be tolerated, and no other God was... to be placed beside the God. It's a book that looked to challenge human institutions because there needed to be more trust in the laws of God than in the trust of lawmakers. Can we agree with that today? We need to trust more in God than in human beings. In this way, Deuteronomy is a refreshing read, after all. Many books in the Hebrew Bible place a heavy emphasis on this idea of human desire and need over God. The book maintains a high standard within the Jewish tradition. 
as it is this book that we first hear of the Mosaic teaching referred to as Torah. So that arises out of Deuteronomy. Now, it's also an important book from a Christian perspective. Jesus' uh, very teachings take the form in Deuteronomy. There's allusions to and citations from the book of Deuteronomy. They're found more frequently within the New Testament than in any other book of the Bible. For instance, take this from Deuteronomy. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mights. Well, then we go to Luke here, and we hear the story of the Good Samaritan. You may remember the story where the lawyer is trying to catch Jesus and catch him up and, and confuse him. So he asked Jesus about this idea of eternal life. Like, what is the law? What do you want from me? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? He said, well, the law says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. So when I preach, this is why I tend to go back a lot to the Hebrew Bible. It's our very roots and the very teachings of Jesus are based upon this. Now, we often think of the teachings of Jesus as being revolutionary and radical, but what Jesus was simply trying to do was get them back to the cart of who God has called each and every one of us to be. So today, of course, we're talking about getting our finances in order, and it's a very tricky topic. I mean, we already have a finance campaign. Why do we have to do this? Why is Pastor Nick up here talking about this? Believe me, I thought about this myself because there's this challenge of trying to give you a new and distinct message that you would hear then. So when I began exploring this topic, I kept thinking back to, an, uh, to those Jewish roots, and I specifically was thinking about something called a mishkin. Now, does anyone know what a mishkin is? All right, wow. Woo. I'm teaching you a lot today. I feel good about this. So the mishkin dates back to a very early Jewish custom. And what the Mishkin was, was it was a portable sanctuary to be built in the desert. It was essentially a large tent area. Now, why the desert? Why was this built in the desert? Well, the Jewish people were in ex exile at the time. This was during the Exodus story. So Moses was told by God to build a Mishkin, not so God may dwell in the Mishkin, but so God can dwell among the people. You see, um, a lot of the times in, in temples, the thought was that God would dwell within the temple itself. But by building the Mishkin, God would dwell within the people. So imagine being in a desert with really nothing to your name, and Moses comes to you and tells you, hey, we're going to build this giant sanctuary right in the middle of the desert. I know you don't have much to your name, but we got to do this. It's not something to take lightly. The Israelites had to determine the amount of resources they needed. They had to determine uh, the material. They needed to figure out ways to put all of this into play. They would need to work together. They would need to do all this from the chaos of the exodus uh, from Egypt. So they had no infrastructure in place, nothing to assist in this endeavor. Something of this scale could not be accomplished if not for the influence of God and the singular focus of the Israelite people of construction of the Mishkin for God. So in just this one example, we see how our resources should be used to honor God. The act of building this thing in the middle of the desert 
with few supplies and sparse financial resources not only built community with the Israelite people, but it united them in understanding how they could honor God. And this made me think of something when I was thinking of this story. The way our financial resources are viewed, the way they are raised, and the way they are spent is intimately tied to who we say we are and what we do to express our reason for being. The rabbi Mordecai Lebling, uh, in a book called Offerings of the Heart, notes this about money. It is both an actual and symbolic tool for the deepening and sustaining of life. And through its giving and receiving, we can inspire others and be inspired ourselves. Now this is where I found myself turning to the book of Deuteronomy and turning to the Jewish history with our verses from today. Right away, we, as we're reading these verses, we hear that there are luscious fields of grains, there are trees full of beautiful olives, as far as the eye can see. And what would happen here is they would harvest this, these fields and they would take everything from these fields, not leaving anything behind. Even though they didn't need all of it, they would still take all of it. And what is being commanded here is to leave some of those harvests behind, to be good stewards, to take what you need but leave some for others. It was a way to mimic what God had done for each and every one of us. After all, looking at the fields of grain, I'm sure it would be impossible as a harvester to look at that and say, wow, look what God has given us. Look how God has bestowed upon us this beautiful harvest. So if God is to share this creation with us, to withhold this from others, well, that would be dishonoring God. Now, who is this harvest to be shared with? Now, this story says it should be shared with the alien, the orphan, and the widow. So, in other words, these words don't place any conditions on who these should be shared with. Instead, it is noted that we should be kind and charitable regardless of the situation and regardless of where the others come from. And because of this, incredible things come of this harvest. Because God would not just bless the poor in this situation— but would bless those who would share the fruits of their labor with those who were marginalized in the society. The very heart of the Hebrew Bible, the very heart of Deuteronomy specifically, is to note the interconnectedness of all of us. After all, community cannot be shaped with the actions of individuals. Now, of course, our individual habits ultimately bleed into our community and shape our identity. For instance, our church, we have many individuals who place a high importance on building relationships, who place a high importance on getting to know each other's name. And now our church is a hospitable place for everyone because it's all bled into it, right? Last week we talked about Diane being the face of this church. Her individual tendencies bled into the fabric of this community. It is our use of money that we should consider what we need to be. Our use of money should be for the development of an ethical human being, reflecting God in fundamental actions where heaven and earth intersect. In other words, how we budget and how we spend our money should reflect our faith values. How we choose to spend and even think about money says a lot about our beliefs as Christians. And this isn't just to talk about giving money to the church or being charitable to others outside of the church, which I certainly believe are two very important things. 
but it's about changing our mindset about finances. Now, some of you know that before I went into seminary, I worked in the nonprofit financial field. I worked for a nonprofit company where I was a financial counselor to people, and I would specifically counsel people who were considering or going through bankruptcy. So what I would do is I would talk with these people and I would evaluate their budgets. I would look for areas they could work on improving their budget. I would give them tips. I would teach them better financial steps to move forward. And I spent all this time training for this. I spent all this time learning all these tools that I could use with these people. But what I found is I would use these financial tools, but I would spend more time talking about the emotional needs of that person rather than the financial needs. I was an emotional counselor and not a financial one. Because whether that person was considered wealthy or considered poor, going through the idea of bankruptcy was a very traumatizing experience because so much of their self-worth was tied to their money. And without money, they felt like failures. And yet, what I experienced was that most of these people going through bankruptcies were going through these situations due to no fault of their own. You know, uh, there was the 2008 uh, recession that hit with the, when the housing bubble burst, where people saw their $600,000 home suddenly be worth $100,000. There was uh, a broken leg that, le that left someone out of work, so they had to collect short-term disability, and all of a sudden their budget was out of control, so they had to rely on credit cards. They may have had great medical insurance, but still, medical debt builds up even if you have great medical insurance, and people found themselves in a hole they couldn't recover out of. It was very rare that I experienced people who, who we would consider irresponsible with their money. I didn't ever have someone who called me and said, yes, I'm filing bankruptcy because I use my credit cards to buy every single um, sneaker available in the world. No, I, didn't, I never had that. So I spent my time reassuring these people that they weren't failures and they did not have to be ashamed of themselves. It was eye-opening for me. It changed the way I viewed money. It changed the way I viewed people. It changed the way I viewed this idea of hard work always reaps rewards. Though, again, certainly I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard. But it made me reevaluate things. Issues of class and money are tied to our issues of self-worth, personal values, and individual choices. So many of us tie our self-worth to money. Instead of tying our self-worth to God, we tie it to this money, which, as we all know, is a temporary thing. We exchange the infinite of God for the finite of money, for the finite of the world's standards of success. And I believe we all struggle with it. I struggle with it. I mean, shoot, I feel like I'm buying a new 55-inch or a 60-inch television every other week because I love TVs. What can I say? We struggle with it. We live in a world that has conditioned us to believe that success means lots of money and lots of toys, right? And yet, even though we live in the richest country in the world, we often feel like it's not enough. We feel like we need more. We feel like we need to keep chasing that fun. I remember the, the first year my wife and I were married, uh, I think we made $10,000 that year, yet somehow we made it. Today we don't make $10,000, we make more than that. It still feels like sometimes we don't have enough because we're chasing that temporary fun and that temporary joy. Now this is where these classes that, um, that we're going to be offering during Wednesday night together really come into play. 
There's, uh, it believe, I believe it really addresses the heart of the matter. It really addresses this idea of where we should put our focus. Uh, there's one offering that will be good sense freed up. Now, one of the key areas of discussion will be the spiritual impact of how we handle and how we relate to our money. How do we avoid idolizing money and instead place God at the forefront so that in our harvest, we will always remember the alien, the orphan, and the widow now, this class is going to cover those issues, and it will cover the relationship of how we should relate to money and how we should relate to God. So I encourage you to go out into the sign-up center after class. Sign up for one of those classes. It's going to be a great experience. Let's work on getting our financial houses in order, and that what you harvest in this world, you will be generous and you will be kind, that we may realize that the shearing of our gifts is the shearing of God's bounties with others, and that in doing so, heaven and earth intersect right here on this earth, right here and right now. And in that way, we become a living offering to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you have been enriched by the word proclaimed. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at ministry at orchardumc.org. You can find out more about Orchard by going to our website at www.orchardumc.org.